also a pleasure this morning for me to introduce our speaker for today. Half the church just left. Yeah. I, I, I swear, Kay, there was more people here a minute ago. But uh, would you welcome uh, Pastor Kay Fortress? She comes up here this morning. And so for many years, Kay was one of these people that we uh, were supporting on the mission field in the Solomon Islands. And, uh, and so we're excited to have you here with us today. And you did have a, um, a period of time where you were in this church, yeah? yeah yes. And it was back in the early 2000s, if I remember rightly. Yeah. Memory is not my best thing. But uh, we're, we're really glad. And I just asked Kay to come and share not only what God is laying on her heart, but a, a little bit about her story, because I think it's a great one and it'll encourage you today. So, oh, let me just pray for you very quickly. Father, we just thank you again for the gift of Pastor Kay Fulcher. And, uh, you know, what she has spoken in, even into my own life and, and others, uh, you know, the young people, Lord, that she has invested into, but also, Lord, how she um, was willing to, to, I guess, take that risk when you said go. And, uh, you know, even through the, the hard times, but especially through those good times. But, Lord, this morning, for this message and for this time, we just pray your Holy Spirit's presence and uh, anointing on this message in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Nathan. Well, I was driving up from the Gold Coast this morning listening to a Christian radio station and a voice came on and said, we're going to look at the big questions. And I thought, great. We're going to look at the purpose of life. Who is God? What is eternity? And then he went on to say, we're going to look at your retirement plan and if you've got enough money set aside in superannuation and would you consider investment properties? And I thought, how sad is that? So I want to assure you're going to look at the really important big questions this morning. And the first one is, what is the purpose of your life? And we need to take our lead from Jesus who in Luke chapter 2, in that transition from boyhood into manhood, he was surprised that his parents didn't know where he was. And he said, didn't you know I had to be about the things of my father? For a Jewish boy to become a man, he became an equal partner in his father's business. And to follow him... As he invites us, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Receive the Holy Spirit. What does it mean for you to be about the things of the Father? What does it mean for you to be about your Father's business? Well, I want to start with the call on your life because, as already has been mentioned this morning, there is a call on each of our lives. And we look at the, the heroes of our faith. We go back to Adam and Eve and the call on their life, Noah, Abram and Sarai, the call on their lives, Moses, Esther, Nehemiah, very specific calls, Gideon, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, very definite calls. But God calls each of us to his purposes. And the person I want to look at this morning is Samuel, a call of Samuel. And if we can have the scriptures up there for 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. 
At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called him, Samuel, Samuel. And he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. And I trust you are willing to say today, Speak, for your servant is listening. Isn't it interesting that, you know the story that Hannah, who could not conceive, had promised the Lord if he blessed her with a son, she would present him to the priest and he would serve in the priesthood all the days of his life. But it says here that Samuel did not yet know the Lord and here he is serving the priest for these years and did not know him or had not heard his voice. And I have met quite a few people who've said to me, but I've never heard God's voice. It wasn't obvious to him that God was calling him. And it took Eli three times for him to realize this is the voice of the Lord. Go and say, here I am, speak, for your servant is listening. We need to expect that God will speak to us. You need to live with that expectation in the small things of life that God will speak to you. And as you are faithful in those small things, expect that God will take you on in a journey with him, speaking to you. You need to speak to him. You need to be in the place where he's most likely to speak to you, such as in church, in prayer meetings, in mission meetings, alone with God, speaking and saying, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. That is meant to be our experience in our relationship with the Lord. It's interesting when we go to the end of the chapter, if we can have a look at verses 19 to 21. As Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was a trustworthy prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear to Shiloh, at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Now it's interesting, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. If we go back to verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. We come to the end of the chapter, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. The difference, one small boy who presented himself and said, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. 
the difference that one faithful servant can make to a whole nation. I want to share some of the experiences of God's call on my life that culminated with seven years on the mission field in the Solomon Islands. I didn't become a Christian till I was 33, and as a new Christian, I had a real thirst for knowledge. What is this Christianity all about? There's so much I didn't understand the language, and I wanted to know and learn. And there had been a, a Kingsley team visit our church and share their stories of their experiences at Kingsley College and that inspired me and I thought one day I'd like to take 12 months leave from teaching and just go to Kingsley and learn a bit more and hopefully be a, a better mother and, and a better teacher and so that was locked in the back of my mind. Now at church there was a half night of prayer schedule, four hours on a Saturday night and so I went along my expectation was that at least half the church would be there. So, so surprised to see only five or six people at this half night of prayer. Never mind. The first hour was on missions. It blew my mind as people had so much knowledge of countries and places all over the world. They knew what was happening politically, socially, spiritually. They knew the names of missionaries, their families, their intimate needs and details. And some of these places I'd never even heard of and I just was blown away. Wow, how do people get this knowledge? We never hear about these sorts of things. And I was really oh, just impressed by their knowledge and their passion and their desire to support these people all over the world. And I remember sitting there and saying to God, God, if you ever called me anywhere, I'll go. <laughs> the second hour of the prayer night was on district conference. I had no interest in district conference. <laughs> I didn't even know what district conference was. That was, you know, for some leader, leaders in the church. And I'm still focusing on the world and these places. And wow, isn't this amazing? And I will tell you the first time that I believe God spoke to me and he said, go to conference. And I'm thinking, I said I'd go anywhere in the world if you called me. I didn't actually mean go to district conference. So then I started to tune into the prayers about conference. And I started to understand that this was a meeting of all the churches in Queensland at that time. And that a lot of people actually took their annual holidays and went to this conference. It was a great time. There was a children's ministry and a youth ministry and there was an overseas speaker. And so I thought, well, it's school holidays. We can go to conference. Borrowed a tent, packed up my four-year-old daughter and off we went on this adventure. Now, I do pride myself on my navigation skills. This is prior to Google Maps. I was a much better navigator before that came into place. I'm a visual person. I look and I see, yes, that's where I need to go and that's what I need to do. However, for the first time and probably the only time in my life, I got lost going to Kingswood Park in Warwick. We ended up at Allera. <laughs> so by the time I navigated my way back to the, camp, camp, the conference centre, it was almost dark on a Saturday night. I got out this tent that I'd borrowed and I hadn't had a practice of putting it up. 
My four-year-old daughter was not great help and she was tired and whingy by this time. Lots of people walked past, but nobody came to help and I felt really let down by these church leaders, you know, who weren't helping this woman who's trying to put up a tent and didn't really understand where pole A was meant to go into pole B. And I thought, you don't belong here. You wouldn't belong in Kingsley either. So let's just get this tent up, stay the night, and in the morning you can pack up and go home. Because you see, because God had said go to conference, I went with such an expectation that something great was going to happen. God had something for me at conference. Yippee, I better get there. And yet the letdown was so huge that I just felt unwelcome and unwanted. So I spent the night, we didn't get much sleep because the family next to us had a bit of a crisis. The, the husband had a, a gallbladder attack and uh, their four-year-old son was crying all night. And so the whole environment was not a welcoming one. <laughs> so I was ready to pack up and go home until this, this woman who'd had such a horrific night came over to me and said, Kay, I'm so glad that you're here. Would you come and sit with us at church this morning? And I thought, well, perhaps I could stay till after the service. The speaker was Don Paulson from America, and he spoke about the enthusiasm of new Christians and how older, mature Christians love to dampen that spirit and say, you know, you're not quite ready for that yet. Don't get carried away, take your time. And he was encouraging you Christians, you just go for it. You hear the voice of God and then you respond to that and you don't let anyone put roadblocks in your way. And so by the end of that week, I was so on fire for God. And I said, yes, I definitely am going to go to Kingsley sometime in the future. And I just want to learn and grow. And then God spoke to me for the second time. And he said, go next year. <laughs> now, it's now October. My daughter's four years old and can't go to school in Queensland and I thought there's no way I can go and study full time unless my daughter is in school. I also had a house and no money if I left my job. So I made inquiries and found that my daughter could start school if she turned five by the 30th of June and she turned five on the 20th of June. So tick that box. Put my house on the market sold the next day. People tried to deter me from selling that house, you know, because that's such security. And why would you sell your house just to go and study some unknown, unclear purpose, but God has called me to do this? You know, in the last two weeks I've moved house and I sat down with my daughter and worked out it's the 20th time. And that's not counting any houses in the Solomon Islands. And she said to me, Mum, why have we moved so much? And I said, well, that's just been God's plan to go and not be so um, confined to think we have to follow the Australian dream and own our own home. Yeah. 
plus an investment property or two <laughs> to secure the years in which we retire. And I'm thinking, in whose universe does that make any sense if you are about the things of God? So we go to Kingsley College and I had, I had a little Bible. I didn't even know there were such things as study Bibles. I just took random subjects that took my interest. I was not interested in getting a diploma or a degree or certainly not going into ministry. Second semester came along and there was a day in which there were no subjects that I could take. And I'm thinking, well, I'm not wasting a day. I've got to do something on this day. There was a subject called evangelistic preaching. I, I, do not even know what that was. I, I had never spoken a word in church. The thought of preaching was something that had never entered my mind. And I thought, well, I can sit at home or I can go to this course. I don't know anything about it, evangelistic preaching. And, you know, in the break of that first lecture, the lecturer came to me and said, do you really think you should be doing this course? Well, that settled it for me. <laughs> So I realised that this was an advanced preaching course that you were actually supposed to have done introduction to homiletics and other preaching courses before you took this course. But in doing this course, and we had to actually preach to our fellow students who were all mature, many of them already ministering, coming back to do this advanced course and all male, and me, who's never opened their mouth in church before. And I have to preach messages to them, but I also have to go out into the real world and have real situations where I preach the gospel. During that course, God called me, and the call was very specific. It was preach the gospel to the poor. And I took that as a missions call. Yeehaw! <laughs> and God said, after I again said I'd go anywhere in the world, God said, go to Woodridge. And I said, what I meant to say, God, was, <laughs> I will go anywhere in the world except Woodridge. <laughs> now, the reason for that is, I grew up in Woodridge. My father went there in 1954. It was a two-teacher school. It was just bush and farms and dirt roads and no electricity. I had the most wonderful childhood, growing up in the bush, yabbying in the creeks, uh, go-karts down the roads. Wow. <laughs> but in the 60s and 70s, this area just mushroomed into an area of of low-cost housing, an influx of population, and a real area of high crime, particularly breaking and entering, but also murders in the parks. And it was a place you were embarrassed to say you came from. I actually remembered at the end of Teachers College where you, you, you were bonded and you could actually say, these are the schools I'd like to go to. And because it was such a growing area, I put my preferences as Bamiga, Thursday Island, Mount Isa, Mornington Peninsula, 
Normanton, anywhere but Woodridge. And after graduation, they read out your name and your posting, and it was Kay Fulcher Woodridge. <laughs> At that time, it was the biggest primary school in Queensland. And at the end of that year, I applied for a transfer, which I received and didn't look back. So here I am, all these years later, saying I'll go anywhere, and God says, go to Woodridge. You've got to be kidding me. But God confirmed that call to me in amazing ways. I went to a church at Yarram, right down the south of Victoria. They didn't have a pastor and college students would go and fill in and invited. A lady invited us back for Sunday dinner and said, where are you from, Kay? And for some unknown reason, I said, I'm from Woodridge. And I'd never say that. I'd say, especially in Victoria, you just say you're from Queensland. That's enough. And she said to me, you know what? I've got a daughter in Woodridge and she can't find a church to go to. Oh, that's interesting. The following week, I was at Bacchus Marsh Baptist Church, the west of Victoria, similar situation, invited back for lunch, a young couple this time, said, where are you from? And out of my mouth, I'm from Woodridge. I have a brother in Woodridge, and do you know... They, he can't find a church to go to. I said, okay, God. <laughs> if you want me to go to Woodridge, then I'll go to Woodridge. So I actually wrote my sermon on how would you plant a church in Woodridge. And by the time I got there, I was so enthused because I knew for sure that's where God wanted me to be. Mistakenly, I thought when God's call is so clear that it's all going to go well... But you know, those five years in Woodridge, God built his church there from the unchurched. And it's the closest experience of New Testament Christianity I've had. Sharing life together, hospitality, generosity. Not worried about the possessions. The house that I lived in with Dimity was burgled three times. The church building that was gifted to us was burnt to the ground. There were many challenges, but God built his church. And I would have stayed, and I was prepared to stay there forever, and God showed me it was time to move on. And for the next 15 years, I had various ministries, assistant pastor, district evangelist, senior pastor, Every ministry experience was extremely challenging. The most challenging part was where the challenges came from. In 2002, I was invited to go over to the Solomon Islands. The women were having their first ever conference and Gwen Akers was going and I was invited to go with her. In 2004, there was the first ever youth convention and I was invited to go and take a team with me to this youth convention. After that, Ray and Gwen were stepping down and there was a call put out for people who would like to go to the Solomon Islanders teachers and I'd loved my experiences there. I'm now a senior pastor in a church and I'm thinking, you know what, I could do that. That could be my holiday each year. I'd have a working holiday and I could go there and spend a month. Yep, I'll put my hand up for that. And God spoke to me again and he said, 
This is not an added on extra. This is it. During that year, I resigned from my ministerial position. I went to the Solomons on a planning trip. In 2007, I went there as a missionary. I was really blessed. You know, the challenges were very different. The challenges came in the lifestyle, in travelling in dangerous seas, in not having all the comforts of home. But there were many, many miracles people coming to faith, people who had only a, a two-year primary school education who were able to read and understand and preach the word of God powerfully. It was an incredible experience. Right from the very beginning, the goal was to provide... They wanted qualified pastors. That was their request. We want our pastors to be qualified because there was a church in every village and there was a pastor chosen by the chief, usually because of his relationship to the chief, but may not have even read the Bible. And they wanted qualified pastors. So we set about initially with nine basic subjects, but by the end we were providing 24 subjects so that people could actually be ordained ministers. There was always the goal to not only educate, not only equip, but to endorse the nationals. And this seems to be a missing link sometimes. We talk about empowering. I don't like that word. It insinuates we have the power. We might deign to give you some. I like to endorse people and believe in them and trust them and let them minister and lead filled with the Holy Spirit. That was always my intention. So right from the beginning, I would look for people who had the gift of teaching and I'd say, come with me on the next course. And on the next course, I want you to teach this section. And always training teachers so that when I leave, there's others multiplied to take over. Better than what I did, because they're speaking in their own language and they're using illustrations relevant to their culture. So this had been going on for years and I had the, the point where three women who were such gifted teachers and they were going to teach this course all on their own. And I was going to be in the village having taught another subject, but I was not even going to attend because when I attended, they'd say something, then they'd look to me. Is that okay? And I thought, well, I won't even go. And I was so excited planning the course, who would do what, getting everything ready, getting the resources ready. Just uh, the day before this course was to start, I was struck and I didn't realise what was happening. It was like my head was separate to my body and the only way I could move would be to carry my head. I cannot adequately describe the pain that it was. I couldn't lift my head off the floor. And so some of the people in the village says, you need to be tested for malaria. And I thought, well, I don't have the normal symptoms of malaria. I don't have a fever. I don't have the, the stomach problems. I just have this head which seems to be detached from my body. So they carried me to the clinic and we had the test and carried me back and then the nurse came running from the clinic, it's positive, you have malaria, 4X. What that means is it's cerebral malaria, it affects your brain. Um, mostly you don't survive, but if you do survive, there's permanent brain damage. 
They carried me to a boat to take me to the nearest hospital, which was four hours across the ocean. I knew that I was losing my mind when I met the captain and I said, Hey, babe. <laughs> <coughs> so they, they put me in under the half cabin to protect me from the elements, but I was so overcome with heat, I knew I had to get out and I had to somehow cool down. And as the, the canoe was going through the water, I thought, I know how I'll cool down. I'll just climb out of the boat into the water. And so that's what I started to do. Well, the men were not game enough to grab me, but there were two women on the boat who grabbed me and stopped me climbing out into the water. And I didn't realise, because I was unconscious for the rest of the trip, but they would, every time we'd go over a swell, which is all the time, they would stand up with me and then sit down with me and stand up with me and sit down with me. But before I became unconscious, one of the men, an elder, stood up in the back of the canoe, which is not recommended, and he prayed. He prayed in his own language, and as he prayed for me, I felt a physical sensation start at my head and move down my whole body. I knew in that moment that God saved my life. It still took a long time to recover, but I knew that God had preserved me and my brain at that time. More difficult than the cerebral malaria was the district superintendent coming to me and the three women who were to teach this course and saying, we're cancelling the course. And I said, you, you don't need to cancel the course, but you're going. I said, but I was never teaching the course. These women are teaching the course. But we can't have it if you're not here. What if someone asks a question that they can't answer? And this man had been um, in Australia for five years and had a Bachelor of Theology. And I said, well, you can answer the question. And he just refused to have these women teach. And he said, we only value Western education. As he left, the four of us just hugged and cried. And it made me consider, what's, what's this all about? If they're not going to value their own teachers, what is the point of it all? And when I was well enough, I wrote to all the other district superintendents to say, are you going to value your own teachers? And they all affirmed, yes, 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 invite them to come, to come to us. But I realised that I had to work my transitional exit so that I have to actually disappear and they have to be endorsed to take over their own ministry. That was a, a really difficult time. But it's God's plan. So I stayed there till the end of 2013 and transitioned out of ministry. I went back in January 2020, just before COVID, and I was very thankful to be able to go because two people who were very close to me were being ordained, uh, Gloria Philip and Richard Solomon Soto. And I'd always said, especially to Gloria, if you are to be ordained, I want to be there. Gloria could have been ordained years earlier, but uh, her husband wasn't in favour and she wasn't going to be ordained without him by her side. And finally he came to wanting her to be ordained. So I went for that purpose and that purpose only. 
And I had planned also to go and visit some of the local villages after the ordination, but no official ministry. The day before the ordination, the national superintendent came to me and he said, I'd like you to speak at the ordination service. And he was down to speak at the ordination service on all the programs. And I said, no, you're, you're the leader. The people need to hear you speak. And he said, no, I've met with the national board and they want you to speak. And I said, no. I, I said, how about after tonight's service, I'll meet with the national board and I'll explain to them why I can't speak and why, you know, it has to be your own people speaking to your own people. So after the service, which didn't end till about 10.30, and then gathering people together and meeting and sitting around a circle, and I thought I quite eloquently and efficiently um, explained to them why I, as a white man, should not be speaking to them at this ordination service and how the national leader should be the one to speak. And then in, in tribal culture, not according to the Wesleyan Methodist discipline, but in tribal culture, people sit in a circle and they each express their opinion and then it comes back to the chief or the national superintendent and he makes a decision. And once the decision's made, everyone accepts that decision regardless of whether you agree with it or not. So you all have a voice and then the decision is made. So they went round the circle and everyone expressed their opinion. And this is what they said. Pastor Kay, you're not a white man, you're one of us. You live with us, you eat with us, you taught our language, and we want you to speak to us one more time. It's the best compliment anyone could ever give me. Many tears. And we stood and held hands and sang together. And I didn't get to bed till after midnight. In fact, I didn't go to bed because I had no message prepared. <laughs> but God provided the words of the message. Many times, especially young people, but older people too, quote to me Jeremiah 29.11 as their life verse. I'm sure you know it. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Unfortunately, it's often quoted out of context. You see, Jeremiah, Jeremiah, who heard God's call, accepted God's call, was so oppressed and actually said, I wish I'd never been born, as he was about the things of his father. He is speaking to a nation that is in exile. He is speaking to a nation that is all but destroyed. The ten tribes of Israel have been liberated, uh, obliterated. The tribe of Judah and the remnant of Benjamin are all that exists and they are in exile. And God is speaking to this nation in the foreign land. 
He's speaking to people who have lost everything. He's speaking to people who are grieving. He's speaking to people who are hopeless. And let me read what he says in Jeremiah 29, verses 4 to 14. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat what they produce, Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let the prophets and the diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, only when Babylon's 70 years are completed will I visit you. I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I surely, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for your harm to give you a future with hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. I will let you find me, says the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile." He's speaking to a nation in exile who are going to be there for 70 years. And let's face it, any of the adults would not be alive in 70 years' time. And yet he's saying to them, while you're there, make the most of the opportunity. Take wives, marry, plant gardens, build houses. Most importantly, verse 7, he says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. In other words, seek the welfare of those who are keeping you into captivity. Let's just digest that. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. What's the purpose of your life? Your welfare? Your wealth? Your health? What is the call on your life? Is it to seek the welfare of others? Even others that oppress you? Who hurt you? who disappoint you. If we seek our own welfare, we will never be satisfied. Life in Australia in 2021 seems to be focused on freedoms, health, the housing market, and retirement planning. I want to invite you to have a different sort of life. I want to invite you to have a different focus. I want to invite you to focus on the things of our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be his name. His will 
be done on earth as it is in heaven. I invite you to pray for our Father, for his will to be done, rather than praying to our Father for your will to be done. I invite you to be more concerned with the welfare of others. I invite you to recalibrate your life. I invite you to say, here I am, speak, your servant is listening. And this may be the first time and the first voice and a first step, or it may be a culmination of years of hearing the Lord's voice and thinking, yes, one day... Let it be today. As I pray, I'm going to invite the music team to come up. And during this song, I invite you to come forward and say, yes, I'm going to recalibrate my life. Yes, I'm going to focus on the things of the Father. Whatever that means. Yes, I've heard God's voice and I've put it to the back. But today's the day I'm going to say, here I am. Father God... I thank you that you know each one here by name. You have called each one by name. You have a purpose for their life. Your ways are greater than our ways. And we are so sorry that so often we we cry out to you to answer our prayers so that we can have the sort of life we desire to have. And we just want to surrender our lives to you afresh, as Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, Is there no other way? Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. Are we willing, Lord, today to to say it's no longer I that lives but Christ that live in me? Are we willing to self-denial, not just the giving of money but the giving of our life? Are we willing to refocus who we are and why we are here? for the sake of those that don't yet know you. Lord, I just pray that you'll speak to our hearts and minds today and that there will be those here who are willing to say, here I am, Lord. For this I ask in the precious name of Jesus.